0: I want to go to 1 Corinthians, okay? And so if you have your Bibles, or if you have it on your phone, or your iPad, or your iPod, or your iWatch, or I, whatever your eye is, 1 <coughs> Corinthians chapter 11. <coughs> and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 17, it says this. It said, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. <laughs> what Paul is saying, hey, Corinth, your reputation, your reputation precedes you, right? right? No doubt that there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So when, so then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Oh my goodness. Don't you have... What kind of church are we talking about here, right? Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall, now listen, that's not saying we can't eat in church. I'm going to explain that. And I'm going to make sure I spend about 30 minutes explaining that. Okay. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number have fallen asleep. Well that's Another word for passing, they, they passed away. <laughs> People when we serve community, they're like, no, 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 just go on by, just go on by, I'm good, right? We'll talk about that. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned within the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Oh, yes. He says we should eat. And we should eat together. And you should bring pies. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home. So that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Okay, God, what are you saying here? Do we eat together? Do we eat at home? What are you saying? We're going to talk about it. And when I come, I will give further directions. Okay? When I come, I will give further directions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, thank you for this time we have to divide your word this morning. And God, thank you for the opportunity we have here in a few moments to come and to do this in remembrance of you. God, I pray this morning, Lord, that uh, my words will not be my words, but God, the words that you have placed within me to share with with, with us today. And God, I pray that every ear would be a hearing ear, every heart a receiving heart. And God, I pray that this morning, God, that uh, uh, we would do the word of God justice in the delivery of your powerful, precious word. God, I thank you for today. And I ask your blessing upon our time. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said... Amen. Now, today's communion will follow a sermon. Communion in the early church followed a supper, and I'm all for bringing that back right now, right? In verse 20, it's called the Lord's Supper, and it was instituted by the Lord when he took the Passover bread and took the cup with his disciples. Then in the first communion, the communion was associated with a meal. Okay, Jesus, when he first took communion with his disciples, when he first instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, it was associated with the meal. But through centuries now of practice, the Lord's table has somehow been disassociated from eating it at a dinner. But I'd like to say this, that I'm all for bringing that back. That when we gather with our community groups on that first Sunday night of the month, or we gather with friends, there's nothing wrong with taking communion at the end of our time together. Uh, We are not told in this Corinthian letter that it's necessary to have an ordained assembly God minister present. We're not told of any particular direction that we have to follow. We're not told you have to do it in a church building. In fact, we find out in, in, in Corinthians and in Acts that they take it in their homes. It rather appears that these settings were, were at home. And I believe that our own individual relationships and our community groups that we, that we, that we study and we serve with, um, we can be strengthened if we take the, 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 the bread and the, the cup together. And so we're we're going to talk about this. Now, the word supper itself uh, in the Greek actually means the main meal of the day, okay? Now, where I grew up, I grew up in southeast Oklahoma. And when I moved west of I-35, some some of my lingo had to change because lingo was different. In southeast Oklahoma, you had breakfast, you had dinner, and you had supper, okay? Who said amen? amen? Really? And we had a lot of stuff in between, too. But then I met people who have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Anyone saying amen on that? (laughs) These people that said amen on that probably have cloth napkins. And probably indoor plumbing. <laughs> but in my neck of the woods, <laughs> with the outhouses and the and the paper towels, we had breakfast, we had dinner, and we had supper. Supper was the main meal of the day. Um, and in the Greek world, in this world in which uh, Paul is writing. Uh, supper was very, very important. You, you didn't eat much for breakfast in this day. Uh, you would take a, a piece of bread, which kind of, we kind of refer to like something like a bagel. And a lot, a lot of people, most people in this day, would take something like that and they'd dip it in juice and they'd eat it on the run. That was their breakfast. Aren't you glad that we progressed to bacon and eggs? And then they had lunch, and lunch was kind of on, on the run as well. It was in the streets or in the marketplace, you know, something, that just a picnic lunch that they took with them, so, you know, something to eat quick, and it was again on the run. But in this tradition, in this time that Paul's writing, supper was the one meal of the day where all the family came together, and when the emphasis was not just merely on the food, but the emphasis was on the fellowship was on the fellowship. It is the context, it is in this context that we come into the Corinthian letter and that we find that the Corinthians are having communion at the end of their suppers. But their communion is open to criticism. It is the first, uh, it, it is first of all open to criticism, verse 17, on the basis that it says it's doing more harm than good. Can you imagine a communion service that is doing more harm than good? You guys, you, you've been here, many of you have been here before. You, you understand what we do. We understand we come forward, we take communion together. Can you imagine any of us walking out of this place this morning saying may, the way that communion was conducted by pastor and by our elders, that was just ridiculous. It, it didn't build me up. It tore me down. That was just, that was just ridiculous. I, I, I don't know if I ever want to go back and be a part of that spiritual experience again. Can you imagine that? I can't even imagine that. How in the world could sitting and eating the Lord's Supper and partaking of the Lord's Supper together do more harm than good? Well, the Corinthians were real good at what they did. It was chaos, and it caused destruction. It caused destruction. There was divisive influence. Can you imagine a communion where the divisions and the differences are emphasized rather than the unity? And that's what was happening at Corinth. It wasn't doctrinal heresies in the context But the heresy of one social group gathering within the church and feeling like they were superior to another social group and making a distinction based upon the size of paycheck that was brought home. That's what was going on in Corinth. And can I just be honest with you? That's taking place in a lot of churches across this world today. Social distinction. At a private dinner party, You can invite anyone you want. But this is the Lord's table. And this is the Lord's supper. And guess what? He invites the guests. And the Corinthians, they had forgot that. They had begun to think that this was their table and that they were somehow, that it was them who was giving the invitation, but it is the Lord's table and it is the Lord's supper and only he can give the invitation. And this is one reason why here at Elm Grove Community Church, we practice what we call open communion. For this is not an assembly of God thing. This is not a Pentecostal doctrine. This is not an Elm Grove Community Church supper. This is the Lord's supper and the Lord has given the invitation and the Lord has said to do this the Lord has and therefore whosoever will may come Whoever has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. When we partake of Holy Communion after service today, you are able to come and partake. We don't care if you're a member of First Baptist Church somewhere or First Methodist Church or if you're a member of a charismatic church. You're here this morning and you're welcome to, as long as your conviction fits, you're welcome to come and to be a part of the supper that we're going to take because, again, it's not our supper, it's His. Amen. There was one applause break right there. Write that down. One applause break. But can you imagine this? A communion that's marked by extreme manifestation of self-centered behavior. And that's the focus of verses 20 through 23. 20 through 22. And here's what people were doing. They were having a potluck dinner at First Assembly God Church in Corinth. Potluck dinner. And some groups were bringing their steak and their baked potatoes and their apple pie a la mode. And then other groups who couldn't afford the steaks and the baked potatoes, they were bringing their tray of bologna sandwiches. Right? And so they come together for this big potluck dinner here at the Corinthian church. This is part of their church. And when they came together, the people who brought the real good food they would gather in a corner over here. And as they gathered in the corner over there, they would have a wonderful time sharing all their meats and fine cheeses and and fine drinks like Pepsi and Mountain Dew. Okay? And then you had this group over here who who they, they shared their sandwiches and they shared their great value sour cream and onion chips. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching good now. And, and and instead of coming together as one, there was division. And in fact, the the Phillips translation of verse twenty one said, "Everyone tried to grab his food before someone else." <laughs> Isn't that great? Can you imagine? Like, can you imagine when we have dinners here at the church, like like Carolyn knocking over Betty, saying, "No, that's my Jello salad." And Betty giving her a right hand right back, saying, Well, that's my sandwich. Can you imagine? Can you imagine even rib dinners? Can you imagine as people come to the line? Can you imagine this Friday night if they're shoving and pushing people out of the way? Saying, your, your group's over there. You, you don't belong here. You go over there. It's is ridiculous, isn't it? Amen. This is absolutely ridiculous. And that's why Paul is writing, because it's like, this is stupid. In the Greek, stupid means this is stupid. So he's having to write a church to instruct them of how to partake of the Lord's Supper. And it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> that seem, have you ever seen someone elbow someone at a church function? You know, <laughs> that's, I'd almost pay money to see that. I wouldn't, I'm joking, I'm joking. I can tell some of y'all are going, how much, how much, no. But it seems terribly out of place. But that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. Not only elbowing their way to the front of the line, but people who had brought the, 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 the better meats and the better foods, once they were through, they would take their food and they would leave, or they would take it back to their donkey. <laughs> almost said carb. <laughs> they, 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 they would take it back. They would remove it so the people who didn't bring the better food were not able to enjoy even the leftovers. I mean, what, what, a, what a fantastic congregation. That's the, that's the people we want to pastor. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. Yes. Ridiculous. Yes. And so people were getting full on good food. And then people who didn't bring much were leaving hungry, and they were over in the corner remaining hungry. And this reflected this atmosphere of indifference, uh, letting some go hungry and others having a plentiful supply. And then they would take the wine, and they would go to one part of the room, and they would drink. I can't even imagine people drinking at the Lord's table. I can't imagine. For one thing, in Passover, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper during Passover, you could not, I can tell you this for a fact, you could not have alcohol inside the house during Passover. So I can promise you that the, uh, the, the wine that they partook of at Passover was not fermented at all because Jesus would have been going against his Jewish tradition. He wouldn't have done that. But that's a whole nother sermon and a whole nother bucket of chicken. We'll get to that. Come on. But can you imagine people coming drunk to the Lord's table, to the Lord's Supper this morning? Can you imagine Linda and Craig staggering up here going, serve me, I'm ready. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Carrie elbowing her way up to the front? No, I'm ready. This, this is my stuff. This, this is my meatloaf. Can you imagine? Isn't this a crazy church? This this has to be in southeast Oklahoma. I mean, it it just... The hungry and the poor are meeting the intoxicated rich at what was supposed to be the supper of the Lord. Crazy. But theirs had become not the Lord's supper. It had become a self-centered supper. The hungry and poor were meeting the intoxicated rich as they took communion together. Wow. Wow. Verse 23 through 26. Everybody still with me? Good deal. Good deal. Doors are locked. It's okay. (laughs) Now, it says in verse 23, verse 26, 23 to 26, that he received word directly from the Lord about communion. This is a tremendously important statement barring upon Paul's apostleship. Because it's not something he says was handed down to him by other apostles. It's not something that he said that he read or it's something that, that was just tradition. But he said, no, the Lord gave me this. Okay? Paul was not there whenever the, the, the Lord took, took that, observed that first supper with, with his disciples. He was not in the room that evening. And so the Lord himself, from the Lord's own lips gave this to Paul. He told him what had happened in that room. And basically, we see two reasons, two purposes that the Lord has for his supper. One is that the taking of the bread and the cup, that we might remember him. Uh, twice, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. When you take the bread, it's in remembrance of me. When you take the cup, it's in remembrance of me. Listen, Jesus had nothing physical that he left to his disciples when he died. He didn't have stock certificates, he didn't have a checking account, he didn't have a title to a house, he didn't have a a, a book, he didn't have a copyright of a book, he, he he didn't even have a CD ministry or podcast. He didn't have any of that. In fact, his own clothes were taken from him and divided among the soldiers who gambled at his feet when he was crucified. He literally had nothing to give his disciples, and so he gave them a sign, a symbol, something, an emblem, a visual picture that they might be able to capture him or recapture him, to remember him, and to put him fresh in their mind. You go back to my office right now, and in my office is a picture, the last picture I have of me and my mom. And it's a picture, uh, it's the last picture that we, we took of her right at Christmas time, which is around uh, December. And then there in uh, January 6th, she passed away. And when I look at it, it brings to my mind not only when that picture was taken, but it brings to my mind the totality of my mom. It allows my mind in a few seconds to sweep through not just that moment, but throughout all of our years of association together as mother and son. And to cherish those moments. And I know I'm able to do this without the picture. But when I see that picture, it just kind of helps me focus and to remember. And Jesus says, when you see this bread and this cup, I want you to take this as a picture of me. Let it well within you, the surge of emotion, that welling up that, that a picture would do. It's supposed to be personal. This is supposed to be personal. Personal. This is supposed to be deeply felt. It's supposed to be. It's not the bread, and it's not the cup, and it's not simply remembering a cross. It's remembering who Jesus is and everything that Jesus is in me. Everything that he is. When we take this, we're not only remembering that Jesus died for us, but we also remember he lived for us. Come on, somebody. He lived for us. We remember all those things that Jesus has done and I share communion. The, the, the Spirit quickens me to in, in some remembrance of aspect of whatever it is that I'm going through. Maybe, uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're going through, through an issue in your body or an issue in a relationship or an issue in your home or an issue on the job. And let, let this time just kind of well within you. All those other times that Jesus has pulled you through, that Jesus has made a way where there seemed to be no way, that Jesus has taken care of what other people said were impossible possible let this time well within you all those things that jesus has already gotten you through and let that faith well up in you that you know what jesus is going to see me through this too amen amen it's remembering him the lord says also that this communion is not only that we might remember him that we might preach him that we might preach him verse 26 says whenever you eat this bread drink this cup you preach or proclaim the lord's death until he comes most of you probably never preached a message behind a desk like this, a sermon. But whenever you partake of this bread and this cup, you're preaching. You're preaching. You are preaching. You are declaring. The word preach means to declare. You are declaring something. You are declaring that this is what, the, 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 I, am, I, I am his and he is mine. The Corinthian believers communion did not preach Jesus for their practice was devoid of obedience in the message of reconciliation. Here when we take communion and we preach Christ we're saying that in taking the bread and drinking of the cup here Jesus pardons. It is here that he died in my place. It is here that he bore my sin. It is here that I become a new creation in him. It is here that I'm under his blood and that covenant and at this moment I'm declaring I'm declaring to the Lord that I'm his. I'm declaring to myself that I'm his. I'm declaring to everyone around me that I'm his. I, I'm declaring to every demon in hell that I'm his. I'm declaring to every angel in heaven that I'm his. I'm declaring to the world that I'm his. I, I'm declaring that, that my god me and I got him and then everything everything's going to be alright amen yeah. I proclaim Hallelujah. Paul leaves this particular segment of thought to say that we have before us a choice whether to have a man centered communion like Corinth or to have a Christ centered communion which he himself has ordained he tells us that at communion we must not we must bring our observance into examination, right? right. He says, let, "Let a man examine himself." That's the focus of verses twenty-seven through thirty-four. When I get up in the morning, I need a mirror to look into to get myself in alignment with what I'm supposed to look like. Yes, I know. Yes. I know. Some of you are saying, "Son, you need a better mirror." I understand. Isn't it amazing that I don't look like what I'm supposed to look like until I look in a mirror? Right. You ever tried getting ready without a mirror? No. <laughs> I know a few of us probably have. <laughs> you know? What was the end product? Not good. Hair over here, hair over there, hair, hair everywhere, right? right. <laughs> um, communion is a mirror by which I examine my relationship with the Lord. But we see here we also examine our relationship with others. If I'm mistreating others as what was happening at Corinth, Paul said we are sinning against the body and the blood of Christ. At the first supper, Jesus began by correcting relationships at the table. Remember, he was there with his disciples. And what did he do? He stooped down and he got a towel and he washed their feet. The very first communion. The very first Lord's Supper. Why did he do that? Because he knew that amongst all those jokers they were having conversations about who is the greatest at the table. Who is the greatest here? Who will be the greatest? Which one of us will have our own TV ministry? Which one of us will have our own radio broadcast? Which one of us will have the most hits on the internet on Sunday morning? They were all talking, most of them were talking about who would be the greatest at the table. And so the very first Lord's Supper, the very first supper that the Lord himself was at and that the Lord instituted himself, he began correcting these relationships by saying it's not about who's the greatest, it's about who serves. It's about who serves. And so he washed their feet And now the church at Corinth, man, they've got it all jacked up since then too. And Paul's like, okay, we've got to bring some correction here. And so we're called to examine ourselves, lest we fall back into judgment. Paul says that this is why many in the Corinthian church had fallen asleep. Many had fallen sick and were weak and weary and some had even died prematurely. Well, what does this mean to examine yourself? Does it mean you have some type of morbid self-inspection out of some type of fear, having not examined yourself, that you refrain from the bread and cup this morning, and, you know, and, and if you just pass it on, will you pass on the judgment, and the condemnation, so that won't touch you? Is that the kind of examination we're talking about? No. The lack of examination at Corinth was this mistreatment of other believers. It was somehow thought consistent to take the Lord's Supper at the conclusion of the time when you have grossly mistreated other believers and say, you stay away, you stay out. You're not good enough to come over here. And such cannot be in the body of Christ. To examine oneself means to handle sin in your own life honestly. Don't try to cover it up. Do not try to persuade yourself that it doesn't exist, but admit it, confess it, call it what it is, repent of it, Lay it aside, and proceed. Yes. Some people falsely assume that at communion they'll escape judgment if they just pass the elements by. Well, I I, I ain't doing that. You know what the Bible says about judgment. I, I ain't doing that. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna pass it on by. You know, I, I ain't going to hell for no welches. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Right on. But that, that's not the case either, because right. if we don't examine ourselves now. We want to examine ourselves later. And if we don't examine ourselves, we still fall in judgment to the Lord. Oh, come on. We still fall in judgment to the Lord. So the way to deal with this communion when it's being distributed to you, and we're going to give you a chance to do this here about 1.30 when we get to it, is to examine your life. Is there disobedience in your life? If there is, you're aware of it, bring it to the Lord. Deal with it then and there. You don't have to go through weeks or hours or months of penance to deal with it. You do it right here, right now, today. God, you're right. I messed up. With your help, I won't do that anymore. God, help me. And move forward. Let this be a picture to you of Jesus. Let him examine your life and your love. Lay it aside. And then take communion. Now. I'm, I'm going to wrap up here. How many say praise the Lord? You went to church this morning, and man, you found out about a church in Corinth that was drunk and eating all the time. <coughs> Some of you are saying, Where's that church at? <laughs> Not anybody here, people that are listening on the podcast. <laughs> For me, whenever I take communion, I I think of myself simultaneously. I didn't think of this myself as something that I heard, and it really, really just resonates with me. But I think of myself in being in three rooms. One in that room is the first room where the Lord himself was there, which he inaugurated, the Lord's Supper. I see myself in my mind's eye there in that room in Jerusalem with the disciples. As they're reclining in kind of oriental fashion around a Passover meal. And I, in that moment, become present with them, feeling myself as a part of that original company, feeling that the Passover that I'm taking now is no less significant than it was two centuries, 20 centuries ago, that I'm with him and he is with me. It's rather the reenactment of that first moment. I find myself there as a believer in Christ, slipping into that room, being with them as one day you and I will be. Number two, I move beyond that room to our present room, to where we are this morning, here in this sanctuary, where we will celebrate and partake of communion together. I look around, I see people who know me very well, and I see people who know me too well, because I don't know how to shut my mouth and not tell all my stories in my Sunday school class. I see people that I know well. And I see people that I want to get to know better. I see a family. I see a family that in this time, in this season, in this moment, we've been called together. We are here together. We are here in this moment together. I also recognize that there are people who are not here with us today that would have been here with us this time last year. Because of whether they maybe they've gone on by way of the grave, or maybe they have moved, or, or maybe they have stopped attending the house of God. But it challenges me. It challenges me that this moment is precious. And it challenges me. It challenges me to protect the unity that we have in this church. We, protect, we don't protect it by not including anyone, we, pr- we, pr- we protect it by teaching everyone about the unity of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ and I look beyond this room today and I look to another room this is where I get to shout this is where if we had an organ player and hankies we would be running around if you got a hanky, go ahead and get it out because there's coming a day where we'll sit down and we'll drink the cup new with him in the kingdom of God now I look forward to this third room. Because in this third room, there's a vast expanse that no man can number the persons that are there. There's a large banquet, yet no one is lost. No one is just a number, and no one is a visitor, and no one is a guest. We are all uniquely individuals. And the whole church of Jesus Christ has been assembled from every age, from every nation, from every ethnic group. And they are all seated with Christ, ready for him to lift up the final cup and take it and consummate the meal. We will be there. And I I believe this meal is an unfinished meal. And that's why it's given as a perpetual observance Because in the institution of the Lord's Supper There's a great possibility that the Lord followed Jewish tradition And in the Jewish tradition of that day And as well as our day still today It is said that in the course of the Passover meal There are four cups of wine that were blessed one at the beginning of the meal, the second before the main course, the third after the main course, and the fourth at the very conclusion. And then after they had concluded Passover, they would sing hymns which brought the meal to a close. That's how you knew it was time to go. We sung a hymn, we can go. Okay. Now this, this takes place in Matthew 26. 27 through 30, it says that having taken the cup, Jesus said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. They sung a hymn and they went out. They didn't sing a hymn and then Jesus drinks the fourth cup. And it's my feeling, it's my study, everything that I've studied, it's just my feeling that that Jesus ends this meal at a very dramatic moment with the third cup, not the fourth cup suggesting an incomplete Passover. They sing a hymn and they go out. When will the fourth cup be taken? When will he signify the end of Passover? I think it will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb when finally all of us, every church from every generation, from every nation, from every time will be together at one time and in one moment we will celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords together. In one moment he will lift up the cup in one moment we'll join with him yes in one moment No more crying, no more pain, no more argument, no more anger, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more tumors and no more treatments, no more blind eyes, no more deaf ears, no more Alzheimer's or AIDS, no more tear-stained divorce papers or flag-draped caskets, no more tears or tragedy. It's the promise for every suffering saint here on the earth. We will be with him. Yes. We'll be with him. And seeing this. Woo! Come on. I know we go through junk here. But what awaits us is so much better. It's worth it. It's worth it. He will hold the cup. And in that final cup, man, everything, everything is going to make sense. Everything is going to be brand new. We will be with him forever and ever and ever. And that will still just be the beginning. I'm getting too fat for this. Hallelujah. How can she sleep through my screaming? <laughs> <Hallelujah>. This morning, I'll <coughs> you know, start breathing hard. Start squeaking. <laughs> Can't <out> my voice? <coughs> It helps me remember and it helps me proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Yes. Yes. Man, what an opportunity we have this morning. Alleluia. Wouldn't it be cool Alleluia. we don't even make it down here Alleluia. and the next time we partake of this supper, we're with him. Alleluia. We're with him. Yeah. But until he comes, yeah. we will proclaim yes, we will. who he is in our life. proclaim i'll ask you to stand your feet with us this morning (coughs) (coughs) heavenly father in these moments we come to you now and we come to your table we recognize that we have been invited here not by myself or not by our pastor not by our denomination we've been invited here not by many who have gone before us and laid the way pioneers who have built this church not by great preaching not by great numbers and not by great giving we've been invited here by the Lord himself by you and God, in this moment, we come into your presence. And Lord, for all who come today to share in this bread and this cup, God, whatever their need may be, Father, I pray that they would declare they would preach. They would preach your healing power. They would preach your redeeming grace. They would preach. They would preach your, your restoration. They would preach your love. God, they would preach. God, sometimes I just got to preach to myself. I got to declare to myself who you are. I got to remind myself, you've never failed me. You've never let me down. You've never let me go. You've never messed up. And you're not going to start today. So, Father, let us all preach as we declare you in this place. God, you are our sufficiency and you are our supply. And God, in these moments, may we examine our heart before you so that we can take in a manner that's worthy. every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Maybe you're here today. Here's what I want to do. I want to give a few moments for this morning. Through everyone in this place, just to examine your life. Jared how do I do that you say Holy Spirit what's in me that you don't like what's in me that is not best for me see he wants the best for you what's in me that's not best for you maybe you're here this morning maybe on your way to church you Fought with your spouse? Maybe you're here this morning on your way to church. Fought with a friend. Standing beside you today, through words, just tear down. Examining yourself today would be would be a perfect chance just to lean over and say, "Hey, I was wrong. I messed up. I'm sorry." Or maybe you're here and it's just something in your life. It's in your relationship with the Lord. You know it's not right. You know it's, He's not pleased by it. doesn't mean he don't love you. It just means he's not pleased by it. As moms and dads we, we all know that. Sometimes children do things that, that don't change our love. But it's like you know what I'm, that's not the best for you. I want the best for you. Maybe there's something like that in your heart this morning. You just need to ask God, God, just help me. I repent. I repent from that habit. I repent from that addiction. I repent. I repent from those words. I repent from that action. I repent. I repent from that attitude. I repent. Just examine. Allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart today. And maybe by chance you're here this morning, you've never invited Christ into your heart. You've never made the decision to follow him, or maybe you once did, but you know you're not walking that way this morning. And you know this morning you need to give your life to him for the very first time or to rededicate your life today. This is a divine setup today. You're not here by accident, you're here on purpose. God stopped his world and your world today because he wanted to meet with you in this moment. So you're here today and you say, Pastor Jared, that's me. I need to get things right with the Lord today. I need to begin this relationship with God or I need to, I need to restart. It. I need a kickstart because I've been idling for way too long. Is that you? Will you slip your hand up right now? Just you slip it up and right back down. Is there anybody in the house? Yes, yeah, thank you. This precious blood Anybody else? Gave me life. Yes, thank you. Three days, Praise the Lord. He Praise the Lord. Again, For you guys that raise your hand, there's a couple of you. Defense, That's what you say this prayer with me. So I'm going to ask everyone in this house if you would to today, repeat this prayer with me but especially you two that raise your hand don't let these be words that just flow from our mouth let these be words that flow from your heart as today God moves heaven and earth to meet with you and today angels are rejoicing because of the decision you're, you're, you've made you've made but it's not about getting the words right it's about getting your heart right so we're going to take this moment and we're going to make sure our heart's right so I'm going to say this prayer with me say dear Lord I come to you today in need of a savior. I cannot save myself. So I give myself to you to take my life, all my faults, all my failures, and all my weakness. Wrap it up in your love. And God, I pray that today I will be yours and you'll be forever mine. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my soul. I believe you are the son of God. You died for me. You rose for me. You ascended for me. And you're coming back for me. And until that day comes, I pray you can find me faithful. Serving you the rest of the days of all my life.
1: I love you, Lord. And I repent today.
0: And I turn to you.